0: Welcome to the Close Knit Podcast, a podcast that showcases fiber artists from around the world. You're listening to episode nine, and in this episode, I spoke to Sky Carter of Sky Carter Color. Sky creates intricate woven items made from unexpected materials. She incorporates tons of texture and color into her pieces to create truly unique wall hangings. Sky and I chat about how she got her start weaving around five years ago and how she has monetized her craft, going from having a full-time day job and doing art on the side to working full-time as a fiber artist. We chatted in a communal studio space, so you'll have to excuse the occasional background noise. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, it's Ani of Close Knit, and I'm here with Skye Carter of Sky Carter Colour. Hey, Hello. Sky. Hi. <laughs> How are you doing? Good, good. Good, cool. We are here in Sky's studio, having a cup of coffee and just having a chat. That's um, right. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, uh, Sky, I'll just jump straight into it. So, what is your fibre of choice and what sort of craft medium
1: do you gravitate towards the most? Well, um, I started weaving, basically, and I am self-taught, I think I gravitated towards weaving. I sort of had this epiphany in my living room one day about when I saw a wall hanging on the television um, and quickly ran into the kitchen and ripped up a cardboard box and turned it into a little cardboard loom. And then I went into my spare room and I ripped up some old clothing and grabbed some old yarn that had been hanging around forever. And, you know, before I knew it, I had a little wall hanging in front of me. I think I I was what really attracted me to the whole weaving world was the materials that I could get my hands on and I also sort of come from a place of being a bit of a market hunter and bargain hunter and yeah. um you know I love going into 2 dollar shops I love going to Japan and going to the 100 yen stores yeah. I love going to markets you know I like getting in the car and travelling long distances to find a Um, you know, a secondhand store that hasn't been ravaged by hipsters, you know, because it's still got the cool stuff in it that I can, you know, I can ravage. Yeah. Um, So I think a combination of all of those elements um, and also a love of fabric has basically brought me to this point now where I have a studio full of, you know, all sorts of materials. You know, I've discovered one of my most favourite materials of all time is... um, a string from Bunnies, you know I can't yeah. get enough of it you know it's just the most beautiful cream colour yeah. it's a really lovely soft texture yeah it's just the in the context of weaving it's just the right um sort of tension and firmness and texture for creating something that's semi-structural but soft you know, it's it's just lovely so you know in my exploration of all of these different sorts of avenues, I've kind of come up with, I suppose, my personal favourites and the soft, nice, soft things that I like to touch. But um, yeah, no, love that Bunnings string.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for non Australians listening, Bunnings is, is like Orchard Supply Hardware. It's like a hardware store. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah. I wouldn't yeah. have known that. Yes, <laughs> I wouldn't it's... have known what Bunnings was prior to living here. But I guess. Um, as I'm like looking around I, in Sky studio, I can see a whole bunch of different um, different material types. So like she's got yarn and she has all these um, sort of colourful scraps of things. And I'm wondering particularly about some of the things that look more like scraps of fabric. Are you cutting up fabric as well to yes. make yarn?
1: So um, I do weaving workshops yeah. and um, I suppose... I teach the workshops in the context of where I've come from and my weaving journey, which um, is weaving with fabric a lot, you know, incorporating fabric into my wall hangings and my works. um, And so I share that with my students in class. Mm. And because I do a fair amount of weaving workshops, I was once upon a time just chopping up, you know, nice fabrics with a pair of scissors and yeah. one day you know my hand almost fell off from cramping so oh, no. now <laughs> I, um, and I realized that there's no way I could actually personally prepare enough sort of strips of fabric for people to weave within workshops so I found a very lovely man who um, has a fabric cutting business and he um he oh. sort of cut you know I take the fabric to him and he cuts it for me so yeah you know part of my journey has been you know going from um you know doing everything myself to having to sort of outsource you know, yeah. certain things to save my sanity. Yeah. Uh, you know, as much as my time and all that kind of stuff. So,
0: yeah, and I guess I find that interesting the going from being kind of a one woman show to having people who help you. And I often wonder, like, what that process sort of looked like, and if there was resistance, because I can imagine myself being rather resistant to to giving mm. it to someone, because I know it can be, it's your thing, it's like, you've you've done this all yourself before, why not continue to do it? You know what I mean? Yes. How did you find,
1: how did you get to that point where you were like ready to outsource? Well, I'm not outsourcing the creative side of the process. I'm outsourcing the things that um, are time-consuming, um, aren't I suppose I, you know, there's a real I realize I suppose part of you know my realization was there's only so many hours in the day, mm. and if I'm spending a whole day chopping up fabric for a workshop, that's actually not the greatest use of my time, and it's not actually bringing me joy and happiness. Yeah. I'm quite happy to outsource that yeah. job to somebody, and yeah. in investigating, it wasn't you know, it wasn't an expensive. Particularly expensive thing to do yeah. um, you know I found someone close by it's like oh my god that's a win 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 you know yeah. it's like yes why wouldn't I be doing that um and I've designed some looms as well I've got you know a cardboard loom that I have um cut for me
0: yeah
1: um and also some bamboo looms uh, like a little bamboo weaving set basically yeah with a comb and a needle um so you know those things have to be outsourced because I cannot physically do those things myself I don't have the machinery yeah um what else do I outsource I get my husband to lug stuff to the car for <laughs> I me mean, that's a pretty that's a pretty good thing that's a good, yeah. um and you know and I've um have been very fortunate to find a lovely little intern who's helping me with a, a creative project at the moment and which is very kind of time-consuming, laborious process. Yeah. Um, but once again, I'm not handing over the creative pros, mm. the creative side of it, just the process side of it. So, um, yes, I would have a complete hesitation in I'm not dele- in delegating yeah. the create the creative side of things yeah. to to people.
0: Yeah, I think it I think it can be a hard like a hard sort of place to reach with how you delegate and stuff but I think there's so much power in that like you say like it's not you're not adding value to that process and it's not adding value to you to be cutting up strips of fabric that's right (laughs) if somebody else can do it then they they ought to yeah um I also wonder how you went about like finding those people were they people that you knew did you kind of do a google search like how did that look
1: um where I buy my fabric from I asked the lady yeah um You know, if she knew of anyone and she, you know, I was just lucky in, you know, in that particular instance, Mm. the first name that she gave me was, you know, the guy that I'm using two years later. So, um, you know, I find asking, you know, asking (laughs) people that might, that might know. um, And I'm Googling a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, it's important to me to find local suppliers, um, from a practical point of view, but also from a community point of view, I quite like yeah. using people that are as close to me as possible. So, mm. um, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, I haven't had any kind of extreme difficulties, really. You yeah. know, sometimes it's might you might need a bit of perseverance, but yeah. I'm not a particularly patient kind of person um so if something is just way too hard I do tend to discuss stuff it's not it's not worth my time and energy or you know the aggravation so yeah Um, but also you know I'm doing something that I care about and I'm passionate about for me so um you know that makes you a little bit more motivated doesn't it Yeah. yeah absolutely
0: what would you say that your favorite part about The fiber arts sort of world is, and then sort of within that, what's something that right now you're kind of excited about?
1: Within the world of fiber art, well, well, I mean, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because the world of fiber art, there is only now just a growing awareness of it. And you know, five years ago, I didn't have an an awareness of it. Mm. Um, I've been, I've had my studio for four years now, and I've been a, a dedicated artist as opposed to full-time worker who who does art on the side Mm. for four four years now so um and I started painting and then I sort of you know discovered the world of fibre art and now I exclusively do that Mm. um so I think one of the exciting things is that in fact it is now becoming recognised. You know there is the new craft movement. It's mm. a worldwide phenomena, You know there's lots of zeitgeist going on. Mm. You know people are independently picking up. You know tools and working with their hands. And yeah. you know I've read a little bit about it. And, you know there were. You know the be- belief is that you know there's a, a trend towards. Um, you know things that feel nice on the hand because we're so used to touching hard surfaces, you know, even our laptops are mm. um, touch screens now. And um, and for me, that um, I need to touch soft things, you know, that's what really turns me on. Yeah. And that's why I personally gravitated towards it, you know, sort of, you know, harking back to the bargain hunting. You know, I yeah. kind of obsessively collect um, retro cups. you know, Japanese retro cuts you know I love the feel of those in my hand so Mm. um you know I I think I'm part of that kind of movement of people that need to sort of feel things in their hand that are sort of earthy and a bit raw and ground you Mm. to some degree I'm a person that needs a lot of grounding so (laughs) um yeah I mean I think so in itself the fact that fiber art is now a conversation that's happening Mm. um is exciting. However, there are still so many people that do not get it. You know, when I exhibited at the other art fair, yeah. um, I really did have to explain to a lot of people that, you know, yes, these fluffy things hanging on a wall are intended as fluffy things to hang on your wall. Yeah. Um, and they don't need to be in a frame and you don't need to be afraid that they're going to get dusty. You know, it's no different yeah. to anything else in your house. Mm. Um, yeah, and it's, it's just about maybe thinking outside the box but I do get a lot of feedback people want me to put things in frames and yeah okay and I do and I really I really resist actually resist that I succumbed um, to it for a moment and I sort of did frame a few things um, small things sort of as a bit of an experiment and I put it put them out there in the marketplace and there wasn't a, a Really strong reaction to them, not not a strong positive reaction. It wasn't like a negative one, mm. um, but I, I just thought, no, actually, it doesn't resonate with me. These things aren't meant to be framed. Mm. Go with your gut, you know. So, yeah. Yes, that's
0: really interesting. I hadn't really thought about the fact that, I guess because I'm familiar with like what weavings kind of look like and have seen them in homes, and you know by scrolling through my very fiber-filled Instagram feed. There's, yes. like, you know, so many weavings and so many wall hangings. And it I think it's interesting because you're saying, like, it's quite a kinesthetic thing. Like, it's so much of it for you is yes. about the touch yes. and the feel and yes. to be able to kind of, yeah, to be able to touch it. So it's kind of interesting to suddenly remove that sense from it yes to like put it on a frame on a wall it's like oh this is now art so yes something exactly yes. Yes. <laughs> yes yes yeah that's
1: right yes it's no more or yeah. less legitimate yeah. with or without a frame in my humble opinion mm. um and, but it's about you know the i mean I've my work has been exposed to you know a lot of people that aren't that are um, hobbyist art collectors and there is and this is another exciting thing about the art world is that there is an emerging um group of people that and are not sort of the rich elite who can afford art. Mm. But there are the um, you know, the mum and dad collectors and the young, you know, young married couple collectors, you know, who mm. are seeking out affordable art from, you know, sort of emerging and mid career artists. Um and they're the so they're the groups that, really, you know, from a commercial point of view, that I like to speak to because that's mm. kind of my demographic that I can sell to. Mm. Um, but they, to a degree, they do um, need educating, and I mean that in the most unpatronizing um, way. I don't mean to sound condescending or anything when I say that, but you know, there it is. A, there is a process of education about sort of what these, you know, what what is fibre art? You know, what does it mean to have yeah. a wall hanging? Um, you know, how do you incorporate that into your interior design aesthetic Mm. Uh, what does it look like how you know how does it work um so there you know there are times when I've kind of had to actually coach people on how they can make it work in their home Mm. if they love it but they're sort of hesitant
0: yeah I guess like um kind of along that with the education side of things I often wonder when artists go to sell their work or um exhibit or whatever it is like kind of trying to put the value on the time that it took and the how you price things and things like that, can you sort of walk me through what that's been like for you? Like that sort of journey of have you needed to, um, has there been a great deal of explaining to people about like, yes, this took me 10 hours to make or like this or that. So, yeah, so it's often I mean? the
1: first question because mm. um, the works look to a degree, they look intricate and they mm. look time-consuming and people are drawn, you know, drawn to that element and they always ask how long does that take um and it's often a hard question for me to answer because I get lost in my work and I don't time it but I actually for um one exhibition I did where I was speaking to the public I was all there with the public while they were viewing I was um I did time a piece and you know it's like oh well this one took 50 hours and you know they're like wow and then and then they don't say oh that's why it's so bloody expensive but they probably you know <laughs> the penny may drop on you know yeah um because you know my material the cost of my materials are not exorbitant mm. um you know i do invest a lot of money and time in sourcing them yeah um but it's um you know the uh, look look how how you price things yes it's hellish it's yeah. hellish yeah. and generally what something is worth to you and is a fair price as an artist to sell people will happily pay half that Mm. so that's that that's the real dilemma and that's kind of what I have um sort of discovered I suppose over the past couple of years so occasionally I'll have a bit of a sale and then things sell and um occasionally you get somebody who's happy to pay you know the price that something's worth um, but yeah, it's it's hard and that's you know, it's hard for any artist, you know. I mean the whole yeah. thing about being an artist is that you're bloody poor because you know, it's so hard to sell your work. So yeah, yeah. Um, it's no different for a fibre artist. Yeah, um,
0: yeah. And then so you've done um you've mentioned some exhibitions and I know you're at Fibre Fair in Sydney and you have maybe one coming up in Brisbane. Yes. Um what other venues have you kind of I know you do workshops as well, but
1: so you do you Exhibited and done workshops. Yep. What are their sort of venues do you find yourself at? Um, really, it's homeware stores. You yeah. know, that's pretty much yeah. um, because my—I um, mean, like all, all, all art, you know, it's primarily for the, to be enjoyed in a home, isn't it? For the most part, so yeah. you know, homeware store is a particularly good fit for a, a wall hanging. Mm. Um, they're on trend at the moment. Yeah. Um, hopefully that trend continues yeah. or, you know, just yeah. the kind of, you know, continuing awareness and acceptance of um, fibre art um, will, you know, hang around for as long as I'm interested in doing it anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I would say they, they are, yeah. yeah, the places. I've got a um, another group exhibition. I'm, I'm participating in a group exhibition um, in northern the northern beaches Hmm. um yeah it's you know it's it's the stand the standard things really you know the the exception or the maybe the difference for me is that I am in interiors stores maybe more than the regular artists but maybe maybe even not so you know yeah
0: and when you kind of started out did you see it going that direction and or did you do did it look different for you like Four years ago, when you were first making weavings and things like that, like were you at markets or were you, you know, looking for? Look, I
1: a bit? did um, consider doing markets, and um, but look, look, I've always I've, I have a, an interest and passion for interior design. I went yeah. to an interior d- design school. I did not study study interiors through that school. I studied color. Mm. Um, but it was very, everything, you know, that you studied was surrounding interior, you know, interior design, basically. So, yeah. um, I it's na- it's a natural thing for me to create something with, you know, that's always in the back of my mind. You know, how would this look in a home? These This is actually an on-trend colour palette that I really love and I'm going to create something based on that. So, yeah. Um, that's kind of the place that I come from, so it's yeah. not um, a surprise to me at all that, no, I'm in a couple of homeware stores. Yeah, you know, yeah. Not at all. It's the perfect fit, in fact. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's cool. I didn't. I hadn't realized that you'd come from studying color with interior design. Yes, it's really interesting. Because yeah. I, I personally find color such a challenging thing to work with. Like I always. I mean, anyone who's looked at anything I knit, it's like almost an entirely gray color palette. I like just. Yeah, like, yeah. I just. I'm terrified of, yeah. of trying to mix color, and I'm always in awe of people who can mix colors so effortlessly, or it looks so effortlessly. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I guess like, if there's a way to sort of sum that up for you like have you always been drawn to color or was that sort of through studying that that you kind of learned about color and then felt empowered to use lots of color in your designs or were you kind of always like yep color that's something
1: that I I don't I never I I think until I actually studied color I didn't quite realize that color was just a natural part of my life from day one you know that I always always had an interest in it Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I worked worked for a makeup company and was a makeup artist for a short period of time. And you know, um, I was a chef, you know, in a mm-hmm. previous life. And you know, the thing that excited me the most was kind of, you know, the the color of the food. And
0: yeah.
1: Um, so yes, I mean, it's always it's always been that there's kind of this theme of color throughout my, life, you know, working life and also you know personal yeah. life. Yeah. Worn colourful clothes, but I've also, also, you know, worn kind of dark and deep, you know, clothing as well. But, you um, know, colour has always been there and it's always something I've, that's been important to me. But, but I didn't actually quite realise how important um, until I studied colour. And then, you know, got to mm. speak to people like yourself who sort of were afraid of colour or, yeah. you know, weren't confident in putting colour palettes together. Um, yeah. It's something that came naturally to me. Um, and just something that I still adore, adore, you know, it's a part of me. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cool. Um, so I know that you started picking up
1: weaving in your home like four or five years ago. Was that right?
0: We probably. About? You
1: know what? It's probably like three and a half. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And then I guess what I wonder is, did you have any exposure to fiber arts or, um, any, in any capacity? prior to that in your life or how would you say that
1: your kind of like fiber art journey began it really was just that seeing I mean you know like all little epiphanies it's kind of you know in retrospect you can kind of see that you know the little um you know events or um you know something that you've seen here all kind of slowly percolating in your subconscious and then you know they kind of come to the surface in one sort of exciting swoop and you kind of discover, discover the thing. And, you know, that was that moment when I went into the kitchen and ripped up the cardboard box, you know, that is probably, I can really pinpoint that little epiphany to, you know, where I am now. Yeah. Um, but before that, you know, you know, my mum is a really, um, you know, inventive, ingenious person when it comes to um, making a beautiful home, mm. um, you know, and I remember her knitting a lot and, you um, you know, she, you know, make, made cushions and, I don't know, she's just opened, you know, turned one of her rooms into Air, an Airbnb and she's, you know, like, made this really nice linen bed head. Yeah. You know, it's like, bloody hell, Mum, you know. Yeah. You can buy them really cheap on, um, you know, Milan Direct now, but it's like, no, she made this really gorgeous, gorgeous one. It's like, oh, Christ. It's like, okay, <laughs> this must be where I got it from. Yeah, Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, I showed her, I took her, through she wasn't very well i took her through a, gave her a little mini weaving workshop and you know yeah. the first wall hanging that that she produced was you know nicer than any of my wall hangings you know so i think i think she's probably um really just to her um way of living and you know the her creative expression through her life is probably really the only exposure hmm. that i've had to the world of craft you know it wasn't really part of my life um yeah. to any great degree I was never particularly kind of attracted to it with the exception of the love of the retro world the 70s world and 70s art mm. so that's probably probably those two things were my kind of awareness of fiber art and enjoyment yeah of it yeah and then um,
0: once you'd sort of picked up weaving and stuff, when was it that you decided that you wanted to do,
1: um, like workshops and teach people? Well, <laughs> um, it was like relatively early on. I thought, oh, really, you know, really part of my strategy and plan for, you know, create, I did, you know, essentially work out how I was going to make money because, mm. you know, I basically decided to leave full-time work, um, you know, fortunately with the blessing of my husband, Um, but you know with that comes a huge financial sacrifice Mm. Um, so I had to work out and you know I've got a studio that I've got to pay for and materials I've got to buy yeah Um, and then you know dreams that need to be realized and all of that requires money so it's like oh I need really need to you know probably workshops you know give those a go and see Um, but I was pretty kind of slack in getting them off the ground and then I was um, approached by a business who asked me if I wouldn't mind doing a workshop and it's like okay right time to get my act into gear and mm. um and then it just you know exploded from there basically yeah so, yeah, yeah yes a soft explosion yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> gentle yeah I think that's
0: cool because I I found with um teaching knitting workshops like I early on I guess I'd been knitting for ages at that mm-hmm. point like mm-hmm technically like 10 years or something silly like that but um always kind of felt like oh I don't know that much about knitting or like Mm -hmm. I'm not an expert Mm -hmm. oh and then it kind of was only once I started doing them that I realized like oh I know more than someone who knows nothing about knitting that's that's right (laughs) and that's all I need to know yeah yeah and like and just need to be patient and kind yes yes
1: yes yeah Yeah. Yeah. and like and be excited about it yes you know know, I can very much relate to that and Mm. I certainly um Yeah, you know, you've. I mean, you know, artists are generally, um, you know, sensitive people who are tormented and totally mean to themselves, and I'm no exception. Mm -hmm. Um, So I did have to kind of put those little naughty, naughty thoughts um, away and just. You know, you you really, you know, if you, if you, if this is the path you're taking, you've got to own it, you know, mm. you just got to own it. It's like, okay, I'm doing workshops, I'm going to own this. And yes, you know, I am the person that knows more about, you know, what I'm teaching than anybody else in this room. Otherwise, they wouldn't be here and they're here to learn from me. And yeah, um, yeah, it's very re- rewarding, very re- re- rewarding.
0: Yeah. Uh, so something that is a really big reason why I want to have these conversations with people is talking to them about motivation and, um, kind of ways of keeping motivated when something that's a passion or a craft or a hobby or whatever you want to call it becomes a business and something that you need to make money off of. And like, whether it's your full-time thing or it's not, I feel like there's, that's always morphing for people.
1: And so I'm really
0: interested in kind of how that looks for you.
1: Yes. Well... Needing to make money is a real motivation in itself, isn't it? It's like, yeah. mm, it's like oh God, I, I really you know, it's like God, I'm buggered, I've got a headache. But I still need to show up and, you know, perform this amazing weaving workshop because mm. I really need that money to actually buy supply, you know, I need to order a hundred looms, you know, for my, you know, next several batches of workshops. So yeah. um that in and of itself is is the motivation, really. You just have to bloody do it. You've committed to something, and once the ball starts rolling, you know, you can't un unroll it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. it's, it's, it's going to be rolling. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one thing that I've really had to work on with myself, um, you know, if you work for someone else, yeah, it's fine, you know. you yeah, get up, you arrive at work at a certain time, you do your job, you leave. But, mm. you know, when you work for yourself, it's like, oh... You wake up in the morning and it's like, oh, actually, I could just really quickly do these 10 things. And then before you know it, you're not at the studio until midday. And then you have to be home by five because you've got plans to whatever. So yeah. I really had to kind of um, work on how I structure my days to get everything that I need to, to do done. And I'm still not perfect at it, mm. um, but I'm way better than I used to be. Um, and the motivation for that is, um, you know, you need to make this work for yourself because the alternative is going back to the life that you made a very clear decision that you did not want to be part of, which is Mm. that nine to five work culture. So, um, it's like, okay, you've made this decision, you know, to change your life and to, um, you know, you've chosen sort of creative expression as your life path and yeah. you know you realize that that's much more important to you than earning a full-time wage essentially mm. um, so you have to make it work and you know and the thing about dreams is that you know it, like trying to realize your dream and follow your dream just like anything else you know you've got to eat lots of shit sandwiches along the way you know <laughs> that's just the, re- the reality of it yeah and you know in pursuing your dreams often you have to eat a few more of those sandwiches than, you know, if you just kind of live in a, a regular conformist life. So, mm. um, you know, yeah, it can be hard, but at the end of the day, it's easier to suck up because it's your own decision, really. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
0: yeah. And before you sort of made the jump, I guess sort of how long were you doing the, the full-time gig with t- trying to, like, weave in your spare time and stuff, and how did you make the the
1: call. I was so I was painting first and i uh, painting yeah, okay. so I was painting mm. in my spare time yeah. um I um I mean all my life really mm. you know yeah I was drawing and then maybe a cut for a couple of years I was painting so all my life I was dabbling in bits yeah. and pieces but um cr- but creatively very lost you know and um, and just generally as a person, very lost. You know, I didn't mm. really know what I wanted to be when I grow, grew up until I was forty. So, and now mm. I, you know, now I know, which is fabulous. Yeah. Um, but bloody hell, it took a long time to get there. You know, I just, just did didn't know and was searching for a very, very long time. Um, but you know, once I got got there, it was it was fine. But, um, yeah, I think. You know, like. Um, It's kind of a hard question to ask because, Mm. you know, in a, in a sense, the answer to that question is forever. You know, I was doing these sort of creative, trying to express myself creatively in many different ways for, you know, as long as I can remember. Yeah. And yeah. Mm.
0: And
1: yeah. And then I hit 40. I had a complete nervous breakdown Mm. and, you know, and that was the best thing that ever happened, you Mm. know.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. I think, mm. I think that's super interesting, the kind of
0: having it as a side practice that you're, you're so interested in, but then how you actually make that leap of Yes. Of like, all right, yes. I'm just going to do this now. Yes. And it seems yes. very scary, but yeah. really important and yeah. can turn out to be, yeah, the best decision you could have made. Absolutely.
1: absolutely. And, yeah. and, you know, for me, you know, working in the variety of kind of industries and jobs that I worked in, um, you know, all of those skills I bring to the business side of what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I have confidence in, um, in that side of things, you know, I have experience with budgeting and, yeah. you know, p- pricing things and costing things and yeah. managing people and teams and departments and yeah. um, all all sorts of things. So, you know, all of those experiences have been, you know, I think key to how I'm able to do what I'm doing now.
0: Yeah. 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 Cool. So for someone who's kind of maybe just realized that they're interested in fiber, maybe this is like Sky sort of three and a half, four years ago. Mm -hmm. um, What would sort of, and maybe it's a business context or maybe it's just as a thing that they're super
1: excited about. What would be kind of your biggest bit of advice for them? This kind of, okay, so if you would, so if it's somebody that's choosing to do what I did, which is kind of let go of the, you know, the regular income and commit commit it is a um oh god so adorable <laughs> um can you please explain what's just happened we've just had a dog walk into the studio and he's the most, he's a most be- <laughs> beautiful beautiful old, beautiful old man floyd. you could ever imagine no i'm talking <laughs> about the dog not the dog's owner thank you very much <laughs> thank like, you yeah. um oh
0: he's
1: so adorable floyd his name's floyd oh. um <laughs> um Okay, so the advice I would have is once, you know, you know what, the thing for me is once you commit to a studio space and fill it full of crap, there's no going back. Because <laughs> I, you know, I did have this thought the other day. It's like if I just decided I was completely jack of all this one day, how the hell would I get rid of all my stuff? You know, it's like I've got so much stuff and I've got it jam packed into this small space. Um, and, you know, I mean, you, know, you, you work it out. You, you work it all out. You know, you give stuff away. You try and sell what you can, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, it's a commitment. You know, once you're in, it, it's you can't do it by halves, I think is what I'm trying to say. You just mm. need to kind of throw yourself in. You need to set up your space properly. You know, you need to surround yourself and immerse yourself in your studio, in your materials, in your looms, <laughs> of which I've got, you know... You wouldn't know it, but we're surrounded by about five looms. Um, yeah. So I've, you know, I've chosen looms that kind of work in the space that I can hang on the wall. Mm. Um, but then, having said that, I'm very frustrated by the lack of space that I have to work in because, you know, of course, I want a massive floor loom, and, um, you know, I, I just need to play and experiment with more looms, basically. And, mm. Um, and, you know, I'm just... I'm trying to work towards becoming a massive installation artist. You know, I'm very um, heavily influenced by beautiful, big works of art. So, mm. yeah, that's... So, the, the advice is, basically, you've got to commit and you've got to be prepared to be poor yeah. you know, for a while, for a while at least. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I'm just really fortunate um, that, you know, I've got a husband that... Um, was supportive of that decision and, you know, we're not rolling in money, but, and he was pr- probably freaking out more than he shared with me about, like, how the hell we're going to make ends meet, but we, you know, we do and we're living, you know, comfortable, yeah. happy existence, yeah. so, yeah. Yeah, cool.
0: And then, um, something I also really like asking people is who we should be, who they know about that we should be following in the fiber arts world, because I think, you know, like we were talking about before we got on online, we are you know, part of this is to grow our community mm-hmm. and to help yes. people find other yes. people. And yes. Yeah, I always find, you know, a thousand other people I want to be following whenever I find one person because there's all these comments by all these
1: other amazing yes. people. Yes. So yes. Who yes. would you say we should be following? Um Well, as we were having a little chat prior to this um, this conversation, yeah. um there's a fiber artist called is it Kuster. I need to. I'll have to spell his name out. No worries. Because um, I can never um, remember how to pronounce it. Yeah. So his name is Kusta. K-U-S-T-A-A. Mm-hmm. Um. I can't find his bloody surname on this page I'm looking at. Um, but he's done. Also, sorry. It's Kusta Saksie. So K-U-S-T-A-A S-A-K-S-I. So for me, he's one of the most um, sort of exciting fiber artist. Um, I don't think he's exclusively a fiber artist, and um, and he's not he's not a maker, you know. So he's not mm. a hand, hands for what I've kind of read about him. He's not like a hands on maker, but um, you know he's got these incredible wall hangings that were made on a jacquard loom. Um, and I, you know, definitely want to play an experiment with um, what you can create on a jacquard loom because it's quite intricate and beautiful. Yeah. Um, I've also um, was very excited by Natalie Miller's um, chandelier mm. installations in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. um, and I really enjoyed reading um, about sort of her process and um, and I really I really actually appreciated her sort of just sharing you know the pa- the pain of the pain of having to create those artworks like the physical pain and probably you know like yeah. the the angst um because you know that's actually a lot of a lot of what my life is about you know there's a lot of like with you know there are times where i've had to kind of produce a lot of weavings and you know it's physically painful and then you know you've got to work out kind of a lot of intense logistical things um you know, those things can be quite kind of a bit of a mind, you know. F beep. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I really enjoyed sort of reading um, about sort of her process and just you know the visual impact of those pieces were were amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, one of, one of my dirty little secrets is I I actually don't like macrame very much. I don't think mm. it it's a particularly um, it's not my kind of fibre art. And yeah. there's only so many artists out there that can really sort of nail it. And she's one for me. You know, she makes mm. makes what has the potential to kind of be ugly um, look really beautiful and elegant. So um, I'm a great admirer of hers. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and then there's just all the wonderful Instagram people and, yeah. you know, and the Koreans are nailing it. You know, there's a um, a weaver called Thousand Wave uh-huh. and she is she just does these totally off-the-wall kooky, colourful textural pieces and a lot of them um, are wearable art and she gets her grandmother to model them. So, you know, her oh, Instagram cool. feed is just full of these beautiful pictures of a grandma wearing these... Crazy, you know, hats and scarves and woven creations. Yeah. Um, and and you know, I I kind of just get really sort of turned on by you know just people who are kind of just quietly doing it and actually don't realise how beautiful their works are. You know, yeah. and there's a there's kind of and those people to me, there seems to be a lot of Koreans and a mm. lot of. Parisians and a lot of Barcelonians who kind of are nailing it for me. Yeah, cool. um, you know, and according to my personal Instagram feed. Mm. But having said all that, I actually um, do try and remove myself from um, being saturated with the works of other fibre artists because you need to kind of keep it a bit raw and it's very easy. I mean, we are exposed to so many images, so it's very easy for those images to creep into your subconscious and all of a sudden, you know, your hands are doing something that isn't necessarily coming from you. So mm. um I'm kind of, I'm quite conscious of that. And sometimes I remove myself um from, you know, obsessively looking at my Instagram and Pinterest feeds. Yeah. Um but I think at the moment I'm just kind of truly going gaga over um, the African artist El Anatsui, who's um, exhibiting here in Sydney oh. at the moment at Carriage Works. Oh, cool. Um, and he basically does um, with metal what I want to do with fibre. Mm. Um, and he just does these incredible, enormous, you know, they're meters long and wide wall hangings that have got this incredible kind of drape that they're made of little bits of recycled metal that are all linked together so it's kind of like this mesh that it just looks like a, this kind of beautiful draping masterpiece on a wall it's quite it's mind-blowing sister i tell ya, i cannot get you know go on about it enough so
0: um
1: you know that's, he's probably the artist that's turned me on the most, more than any other artist in a, in a really long time. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Yeah. We'll have links to those all those people in the show notes. Um, yeah, thanks for that, Skye. Pleasure. <laughs> Cheers. Ta-da. You've just listened to Episode 9 of the Close Knit Podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider reviewing and rating it on iTunes to help us spread the word to more fibre artists. The show notes for this episode can be found on my website, closeknit.com.au slash podcast. Till next time.